So 45 Sundays ago, we started this year, believe it or not. This is Sunday number 46. And we said that this year, our goal for this year spiritually is that this year we would live fully alive spiritually. That this would be the year more than any, in, any other in our life when we lived fully alive spiritually. And we spent 45 weeks really trying to pour into your spirit for the most part. I think the last 10 weeks of those have been some of the most powerful in our church. We did a series called Fearless where we taught our people to live with faith over fear. I still see people wearing our wristbands all over town, faith over fear. And I hear story after story of people who say, Christian, man, I was going to pause in fear and I felt like God told me to move in faith. We spent five weeks talking about whispers, how to hear the voice of God so we could know the will of God, so that we might get direction from God, so that we might receive comfort from God and hope from God. They were unbelievable series. And the goal is, if you've been here since the beginning of the year, and some of you have not because I met two or three people today who it's their very first time at church, welcome. We're glad that you're here. But if you've been on this journey with us, hopefully on Sunday number 46, you're in a better place spiritually than you were on Sunday number one. Like hopefully church is not this routine and activity that does nothing in your life, but it, it, hopefully it's something that serves as an activation so that every Sunday of every month of every year, you're just growing a little more like Jesus in your life. You're getting a little healthier spiritually. And if that is true, then this is also true. Here's a spiritual fact. Healthy Christians are supposed to become helpful Christians. Like the goal of this year has been to help you live fully alive. The goal of this year has been to help you become more healthy spiritually than you've ever become in your life. But the reality is as you become healthy, you become helpful. It's just the way living like Jesus works. Part of living fully alive is living for others. Part of living fully alive is an understanding that others are not there yet and they need your help to get there. So we today begin a three-week study in Romans chapter 12 called Love Like Jesus. As we look at Romans chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. Reach inside your bulletin and pull out your notes so you can take notes today. If you're a technological person, you can download our Journey Church International app and you can follow along on that. Everything that's going to be on the screen will be in the tablet or in your phone on your hand. As we get into this series, we're going to get into a series where we realize what it looks to live like Jesus. And what you have to understand is when you live like Jesus, you begin to love like Jesus. Now, just some quick background on Romans as we move to chapter 12 together. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the city of Rome, a city that he'd never been to, but a city where some of the people in that city had been to some of his church services. They had become followers of Jesus and they had gone back and told other people. Romans has been called the constitution of Christianity by theologians who say, if you really want to know what the framework of Christianity is, study Romans. It's been called the constitution of Christianity because of how it lays out the foundational theology of the Christian faith. And if there was one New Testament book that most fully captures the ministry and the mission of Jesus within the scope of all spiritual history, so like from creation until now, it's the book of Romans. The first eight chapters are filled with practical theology. We learn some foundational truths about the gospel of Christ. The gospel means good news, the wrath of God that needs to be avoided, the law of faith, the blessings of salvation. Romans chapters 9 through 11 give us a practical history of salvation. It talks about how God has graciously saved both Gentiles and Jews, and he's got this big plan to save a whole lot more. And then Romans 12 through 16 is basically practical Christianity. It teaches us how to live and how to love like Jesus. So after eight chapters of theology, after three chapters of salvation history, Paul says, now here's how you respond to that. Here's what it looks like 
once you understand who God is and you've committed your life to follow him. Romans chapter 12, we'll read through verses 1 through 13. We'll do it for a couple weeks. So if you have strings in your Bible, and this is the only day you read your Bible, just keep them right there. We'll open to the same place every Sunday, but I hope you mess it up every now and then during the week. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this, Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. If you have your Bible, I want you to take a pen and underline those last two words, practice hospitality, practice hospitality. Hospitality. You know this phrase in the Greek language, practice hospitality, in which it was originally written, literally translates to pursue the love of strangers. That's what it means to practice hospitality, to love people who are strangers in your life. I mean, after eight chapters of foundational theology, after three chapters of salvation history, could we sum up the life of Jesus and the mission of Jesus with two better words, practice hospitality, Pursue the love of strangers. Has anyone in history pursued the love of people who did not know him like Jesus did? Paul says once you know about God and once you connect to God through salvation, the response of your life is to live in love like Jesus. You say, what does that look like? To pursue the love of strangers, to practice hospitality. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at our church, what it looks like to live our lives like Jesus and love like Jesus. You say, why? A couple reasons. One, Because when we understand how Jesus loves us, it impacts us deeply. We can only love Jesus and understand the love of Jesus as much as we understand him and his life. Jesus said, he who has been given much loves much. A lot of us don't even know how we should respond to Jesus' love because we don't know much about it. So we study the love of Jesus so we can know Jesus better. We study the life and the love of Jesus so that we can begin to live and love others like Jesus loved us. But we study the life and the love of Jesus in response to Jesus' prayer. Do you know that Jesus studied or prayed that we would study this material and become like this? I don't know if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer in your life, but if you have prayed the Lord's Prayer... You have prayed that your life would begin to look like the life of Jesus and your love would be like the love of Jesus. Remember the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed, God, you're holy. You're in heaven, but God, could you have your will 
be done on earth? Like just like it is in heaven. God, could you make earth look more like heaven? That was Jesus' prayer for us and for the church. Could you make earth look more like heaven? And here's the entire premise of this series of loving like Jesus. If we want our world to look more like heaven, and we want our lives to look more like Jesus, we have to learn to love like Jesus. Let's back up, and you can tell me whether this is true. Would our world look more like heaven if every person in it loved like Jesus? Would your life look more like Jesus if you loved everyone around you like Jesus loved you? Like, the answer to that is yes. We don't even have to wonder if this is true. The question is, is it attainable? Is it attainable for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is it possible for heaven to come down to earth? Is it possible for earth to look like heaven? Jesus prayed that it would be so. And I believe if we want our world to look more like heaven and our lives to look more like Jesus, then we have to learn to love like Jesus. And Romans 12 teaches us how to do that. So for three weeks, we're going to dig in and see what we can do in our life. How do we love like Jesus? Number one, three things that we start off with today, and then we'll stay here next week because there's a lot in Romans 12. Number one, you got to get your eyes right. You got to get your eyes right. How do I love like Jesus? You got to get your eyes right. So I have decided there are three places that I want to be buried when I die. (laughs) Which means I told Daniel, I think you have to cremate me because I think cutting up a corpse and sending it different places might be illegal. So just go ahead and cremate me. But there are three places I want to be buried because there are three places on planet Earth where something came alive inside of me that was not alive until I got there. One was the mountains of Colorado. I was in my 30s before I ever saw any snow-capped mountains that were more than five or 6,000 feet high. And when I stood in Breckenridge, Colorado for the first time and I looked out across the range, something came alive inside of me that was not alive before. Something about what God had created in creation became known to me that had never been created before. And I became a little more spiritually alive standing in the Rocky Mountains for the first time looking at the snow. It was like I understood a little bit more about the greatness of God standing there. So I thought, you know, if, if, I, if I'm going to spend the rest of my earthly life in a box anywhere, I want to be there where, where I can see that. One of those places would be the shores of Hawaii. I remember my first trip to Hawaii not thinking that there could be any place on planet Earth that looked like that. I remember getting to Hawaii and thinking, if the Garden of Eden is better than this, take me there. If this is what corrupted creation looks like, then I can't wait to get to heaven. Something came alive inside of me the first time I stood up on Diamond Head and looked across Waikiki and back across Oahu. There there were things that I saw that I did not know existed in creation, and it was like my heart began to beat a little more about the goodness of God in creation when I stood there. And one place is the Sea of Galilee. When you stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee on a beautiful day in Israel and you look across that shore, I can picture right now the shores of Capernaum where Jesus based his ministry looking south across that upside down teardrop of the Sea of Galilee, eight miles long, three miles wide. If I could be buried any place on planet earth, that's where I'd want to be because something about who Jesus is and what Jesus did came alive inside my heart when I stood there. Those views awakened something in me that wasn't there before. When I stand at those views, my spirit, not just my sight, but my spirit is different. So my question for you today is this. What is in view that motivates you spiritually? Like, what do you look at that makes your heart grow spiritually? What do you look at that motivates you spiritually? Let me phrase it another way. Why are you here? Like this morning, why are you here? 
What are you looking at? What is in view spiritually that causes you to come to church on Sunday morning? What motivates you spiritually? What inspires you spiritually? What challenges you spiritually? What makes you come alive spiritually when you see it? When you look upon it, your soul changes. Because Paul says in Romans 12, there's only one spiritual view that allows you to love like Jesus. He said, unless you're looking at your faith in this direction, you won't love like Jesus. What is that direction? Look at Romans 12.1. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. There it is. Paul said, when you stand on the mountaintop of your life and you look back at the long road that is your life and you see how God's mercy has been with you every step of the way, when you begin to view God's mercy for you, it makes something in your life come alive that wasn't there before and it makes you want to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. So let me ask you again, what is in view spiritually for you that makes you lean into Jesus? You say, Christian, how do I know if my eyes are right? Oh, Romans 12 says that when your eyes are on Jesus and his mercy, when, when the motivational thing spiritually in your life is the mercy that God has shown to you, your heart begins to love like Jesus. You say, how can I know that? Look again at Romans 12.1. Paul said, here's how you can know if your life and your eyes are right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice... You might underline those words, living sacrifice. Our entire message next week is about those two words. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. When you live life in view of God's mercy, all of a sudden your life is completely given to God. You sacrifice your life for God, and this is true worship. This is proper worship. Do you know a proper view of God always leads to a continual posture of worship? You say, how do I know if my eyes are right? Is your heart in a posture of worship? You say, yeah, we just got done singing. I'm not talking about singing songs. Say, how do I know if my eyes are right? Is your heart in a continual posture of worship? You say, what do you mean, Christian? The Greek word for worship Paul uses is the word latreia. It means that to which a person gives their whole life to. That's what worship is. Everyone worships something. When our view is God's mercy... We worship Jesus. But everyone worships something. Everyone has given their whole life to something. Hey, let me ask you this question. What would your friend say you give your whole life to? What would your friend say is very, very important to you? What would your friends say you never miss and you sacrifice for? What would your friends look at your life and say they love this? That would be Latreia. That would be what you Latreia. What in your life causes you to go all in for something? Because all of us have something that we worship. But Paul said when we find ourselves focused on God's mercy, we worship Jesus. And if we're not worshiping Jesus, it's because our eyes are focused on the wrong thing, which allows our heart to move forward with the wrong posture. You say, 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 Christian, really, I only worship Jesus during the four songs on Sunday. That's not a spiritual problem. It's an eyes. You're, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're worshiping the wrong thing. You were all in on the wrong thing. Because Paul says, when we remember what Jesus did for us, when we have in view Jesus' mercy to us, when we remember what Jesus did for us, there's nothing that we wouldn't do for him. But Paul says we have to remember, and remembering is hard. So how do we love like Jesus? Paul says get your eyes right. Your view has to be looking at the right thing. 
But he said, number two, you have to get your mind right. Because it's hard to remember. When we remember what Jesus did for us, there's nothing that we wouldn't do for him. But we have to remember and keep remembering that. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Go back to verse 2 one more time. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Circle the word renewing or underline it or highlight it on whatever electronic device you're on. The word renewing is a verb with continuous aspect in the Greek language. Say, what does that mean? That means it's something we have to keep doing. Over and over and over again. Paul says the only way you keep your mind right is continuing over and over and over again to remember what Jesus has done for you. It's not a one-time thing. Last Sunday night, I was sitting in my back office after four services, getting ready to leave church. My little girl, Casey, stumbled in. She comes to service, and she serves the other three services. She puts in a long Sunday morning. Um, And I asked her as she was getting ready to go home. I said, man, you look tired. And she said, I am, um, but at least I get an extra hour of sleep tonight. And I looked at her and I said, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, daylight savings time. Like, we, you know, we get an extra hour of sleep. And I said, Casey, that, like, that was last night. And she said, it's only one night? And I was like, yes, un- unfortunately, it's only one night. Like, that only happens once in a year that, like, you get to sleep an extra hour. And she was, like, bummed because she was counting on that extra hour again. Some of you, you have renewed your mind in life once. And, like, you think that's enough. Like, I already prayed that prayer. I already made that commitment. You know, I renewed my mind. But your life is not focused on Jesus. You say, what happened? You forgot to renew your mind. You forgot to keep it going. A few years ago, I was with with one of our mission teams in Kenya. And one of the projects that our mission team was doing was putting in a a chicken coop, a big chicken coop that would hold like a a hundred chickens. And we built it basically out of brick and mortar. But they didn't have any mortar. We had to mix the cement. All day long while we were going, we had to mix the cement. And they handed out jobs because the bricks were not anywhere where we needed. So some people carried bricks, some people wheelbarrowed sand. And then we had to have somebody who would get the water so that we could mix up the mortar. So Tom Peterson and I, one of our men, were like, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the water. Like, where's the hose? And they're like, well, we don't have a hose. We're like, well, where's the faucet? And they're like, we don't have a faucet. And they pointed to a well in the middle of the courtyard and they said, there's the water. We had those buckets to carry water with for four to six hours and that well. So how do you turn it on? And they said, you pump it. We said, well, how long do you have to pump it for it to run for a while? And they said, it never runs for a while. If you pump it, it will give you water. If you stop, it will stop. So for six hours, Tom and I took turns. One of us would pump while the other one carried water. And then we would switch. And one of us would pump while the other one carried water. And then we would switch. And the minute we would stop pumping, the water would shut off. Some of you are saying, why doesn't my life look like Jesus? Because I made a commitment to do that. Because you quit renewing your mind. You made that commitment when you were 16. You're like, you know, do I have to make it more than once? Yes. You know how often you have to make it? You know how often that thing would quit giving water? Within five seconds of stopping pumping, the flow would stop. I think probably in the world that we live in, every five seconds you have to remind yourself of Jesus and what he did for you so that you can serve others. If not, we live in the pattern of the world. What is the pattern of the world? The pattern of the world is live for myself. Man, when you quit renewing your mind for a moment, you will start living for yourself. You'll start taking things personally. 
You'll start making everything about you. As soon as you quit pumping, you're going to live in the pattern of this world. The pursuit of Jesus is live for others. So if I'm pumping that view of Jesus in my life, I constantly want to live for others. I constantly want to help others. The pattern of this world says serving wears me down. I mean, as soon as I start serving for any other reason than what Jesus did for me, I start getting worn down. But if I go back to that pump and I start pumping that view of viewing Jesus through the mercy that he has offered me my entire life, all of a sudden the pursuit of Jesus starts flowing again and I realize serving builds me up. You see, Paul said if we don't keep renewing our mind, it starts becoming about us again. And the pattern of this world is live for you. But the pursuit of Jesus is live for Jesus. So you have to get your eyes right, not once, but multiple times through the day. You can wake up, get in the word of God, say your prayers, listen to worship music on your way to work, have a great lunch, and then one conversation, one email, one text message, one conversation can make you flip to all of a sudden defending yourself instead of pursuing others again. You have to constantly keep renewing your mind. It's okay, that's not right. That is not loving like Jesus. You say, how do I keep renewing my mind? Paul says you have to have sober judgment. You say, well, that's easy. I don't drink. That's not what it means. You have to have sober judgment. You know, the simplest definition of sober is being clear-minded. That's what it means to be sober. Sober means to be clear-minded. The opposite of sober is not drunk. When you look at it in the Greek terminology, the opposite word for sober is not the word drunk. The opposite word for sober, which means clear, is controlled. See, some of you don't have the ability to clear your mind to focus on Jesus because something else is controlling your mind. Your marriage, your job, your kids, your addiction, your finances. What is it that is controlling your mind to the point where you can't ever look at Jesus and give your life to him? Paul says we have to figure out how to clear our mind because a clear mind is a mindset focused on others. And a mindset focused on serving others is the mindset of worship. That's what worship looks like. Not just singing songs. That's part of worship. But Paul says worship is the mindset of looking at Jesus, which causes you then to go serve others. It's a mindset that helps us love like Jesus. So get your eyes right. Get your mind right. And then Paul said if you do that, number three, you'll end up getting your life right. If you get your eyes right and you start focusing on Jesus and you just keep renewing that moment after moment after moment after moment, it's all for Jesus and for nobody but Jesus. Then you get your mind right and eventually you get your life right. Look at verse four and five. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You say, how can I know if I have my life right right now? Well, when we get our life right, look at the mindset. Number one, we see ourselves connected to others. When we get our life right, all of a sudden we are connected to others. Every family, every church member. It's like one big game of Red Rover. Did you ever play Red Rover in school? They're probably not allowed to play that anymore because it could be dangerous. But did you ever lock arms with someone and say to a group of people on the other side, Red Rover, Red Rover, we dare you to come over. And then if you got chosen, they called your name, you got to run as fast as you could. And if you could break through the line, you could choose anyone in that line to come back to your line. Did you ever play that game? That's what a church is. A church is one big line telling Satan, we are not going to let you break through to have our family. We are connected, not just to our family, but to our entire church. We are not going to let you break through and destroy our family. 
a church is a big red rover line telling Satan, we're not going to let you have our community. We're not going to make you, make you make our community hopeless. We're, we're going to feed our community. We're going to love our community. We're going we're to help our community. We're going to offer classes for our community. You cannot have our community because we are connected to one another. And you know what Satan is doing like a bully in sixth grade? He's looking at that lion in church. And you know who he's focused on? He's looking at the people who don't want to be connected. You could always find those people, right? A guy and a girl standing next to each other who did not want to be standing next to each other. And it was like, you could tell their connection was really, really loose. The person on the end of the line who you could tell wasn't connected to the rest. Satan is looking at some of you today and he sees how loosely connected you are or how disconnected you are. And he's saying, I'm breaking through right there. And you know what he does when he breaks through? He breaks through and then he gets to take one person back with him to steal, to kill, to destroy their life. Some of you are in here today and you're you're living life totally disconnected from others. Maybe it's some discomfort that you've gone through. But I'm telling you, if you end up looking at Jesus and you view life through his mercy, you'll be willing to connect. Maybe it's some distance that you want to have right now from a certain situation. When you look at Jesus instead of that situation, you're going to want to be connected. When your life gets healthy, you see yourself as connected to others. And you know what? The devil can spot disconnect from a mile away. And God can bring connection in an instant if you look through the lens of Jesus' mercy. So when we get our life right, we see ourselves connected to others. Number two, we see ourselves dependent on others. Say, how do I know that my life is right? Not only are you living within community and connection, but you're doing that because you need people. Your mindset isn't, I'm connected because the pastor said I have to connect. No, your mindset is, I'm connected because I'm dependent upon people. You say, Christian, doesn't it make you feel weak to say that you're dependent on others? Listen, no, it's actually the opposite. You might write this down. I believe that the strength of the strong is their recognition that they need others, while the weakness of the weak is believing they can do it on their own. That's what I've seen in 20 years of ministry. The strength of those who are strong, is that they know they cannot do it on their own. And the underlying weakness of those who are weak is they think they got it and they don't need any help. So hang on, Christian. What's the secret of the strong? They know they need people. You say, Christian, what's the blind spot of the weak? They think they can do it all on their own. And some of you are sitting here today Your physical biceps look big because you think, I can do it on my own, but your spiritual biceps are very, very weak because that's a blind spot. And some of you are here and you're saying, man, I can't make it without my group and without my counselor and without my pastor and without my serve team. And someone looks at you and says, man, you are really, really weak. But in reality, your spiritual biceps like could be tattooed because they look that big and impressive in the spiritual realm because the strength of the strong is their knowledge that they need help while the weakness of the weak is thinking they can do it On their own. So when our life gets right, we see ourselves as dependent upon others. And then, number three, when our life gets right, we see ourselves complete with one another. Like we understand in the plan of Jesus, the only way for us to be spiritually complete, the only way for us to spiritually finish what God has called us to do is with other people. Look at Jesus' plan to help us love like Him. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's trying to teach the church in Ephesus what it looks like to love like Jesus and what a picture that looks like when a church kind of all does it at the same time. Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, Paul says when we get our eyes right and when we get our mind right, we end up getting our life right and we live for others. And when we get our life right, Paul says what that ends up looking like practically is spiritual maturity comes through serving in ministry. Like once you get unified and you realize I have to be connected to people because I'm dependent on people and I'm actually incomplete without helping people, you start saying, where, where are the people? Who can I help? How can I help? And Paul said, you find those within ministry where everyone begins to help each other. And we believe at our church, this is for everyone. Like we believe literally every person that comes to our church ought to be engaged in some way in serving others like we believe every part of your body, and I'll talk about this more next week, should work. That's what we believe. We believe everyone in here should be engaged in serving each other just like we believe everything in your body, even the things we don't even know exist, that we believe they should function properly. It's one of our core beliefs. We call it spiritual growth, not serving. Because for us, ministry is just maturity. And we believe everyone has a next step. So if you're in here today and you are not currently engaged in living like Jesus and loving like Jesus through serving your church, we believe it's time for you to engage in that. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. Let me tell you before we go too far that it's my fault, not yours, if you're not. About a year and a half ago, we were in a school. And we were in a school where more than 75% of the people in our church served at least once a month because we needed it and we talked about it all the time. And it was unbelievable. I don't know if you realize it now, but do you know how many people will serve today? Like over the course of Sunday morning to Sunday night, do you know how many people volunteer to make church go in the course of one Sunday? The answer is about 325. That's how many people volunteer to make the weekend happen. That doesn't even count our small group leaders or midweek ministry. That's just Sunday. So that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. But we know now, a year into our building, less than half the people who go to our church are engaged in serving. You say, why? My fault. I've never said anything about it. I've never in 15 months in our building said anything about it yet. And as I was thinking of this, I started thinking of a conversation I had with my dad several years ago. My dad's my spiritual hero. He was my best man in my wedding. Uh, my dad was my, my high school principal. He was my high school football coach. Even as a senior in high school, I rode to school with my dad every day. Like I, I love my dad. And a few years ago when we started the church, I would go to church with my dad. And he had been going to a church for 10 years, but he was not yet engaged in serving. And as a young church planner, I thought, man, churches can't make it unless everyone serves. So I would just hound him, Dad, why aren't you helping? Dad, why aren't you helping? Dad, why aren't you helping? And he had a whole list of answers about why he wouldn't help. I'd go to church with my dad. We'd get there a minute or two late. You know, we'd leave right when it was over. We'd get in, we'd get out. And finally I asked my dad, what, like, what would it take you to serve? What would it take you to serve? And he said, well, one, I've been here 10 years and they haven't told me they needed me. So probably if I knew they needed me, I would help. And he said, Christian, no one's ever asked me. Like if someone asked me, there's no way I would say no. And I thought like, that's it? And he said, yeah. So I went home and I sent an email to the pastor and I said, please call my dad and ask him to serve. But a year later, I went back because I spent every Thanksgiving weekend with my family. And my dad was then ushering. And we had to go to church early. We had to get there 30 minutes early because he was ushering. 
And I sat and I watched my dad laugh in the back and talk to people. And I watched him during the first few songs seat people. And then I watched him help take the offering. And I I watched him, you know, help an old lady in a walker down to her seat. And then I watched him walk her out of the auditorium. And I thought, you know what? My dad is so much more alive today serving than he was last year when I was here. And this church is so much better equipped to minister their community because he's doing it. Like, remember the series premise, if we want our world to look more like heaven and our lives to look more like Jesus, we have to learn to love like Jesus. Let me give you this personal challenge because I've seen it play out in my life. When every Christian serves, our lives look more like Jesus and our church looks more like heaven. Like, we can't make the decision for everyone. The premise sounds cool as a theological statement, but as a personal challenge, it kind of sounds like this. You know what? When every Christian serves, my life looks more like Jesus and our church looks more like heaven, so... I guess I should engage. I guess I should step in. Maybe you've been here for a year and you say, Christian, no one's ever told me you needed us. We do. We'd love to have you. Begin to engage at least once a month serving. And I'm asking you. Say, no one's ever asked me. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to help us. For the hundreds of you that serve, thank you. Our church looks more like heaven because of you. We have guests that come every week and they fill out the first time survey and they tell us, they don't say your church looks like heaven. But they use words like happy. They use words like joyful. They use words like kind. They use words that look like spiritual fruit. And and that's because of you, not us. They talk about you, not us. Thank you. Thank you for how you serve. Some of you serve for a season and then you kind of unplug the rest. Okay, get, get back engaged. Some of you are like, Christian, it's my very first time here. Do I have to serve? You don't have to. You can. Might want to take a few weeks and figure out if this is your church first. But sure, why not? But I believe when every Christian serves... Our church looks more like heaven and your life looks more like Jesus. So I'm going to ask you as we get ready to close this morning to reach in your bulletin and there's a card that says love like Jesus. Because we're about application at our church. We're not about just learning. We, we do generosity challenges. We do be still challenges. And when we talk about serving so that people are thinking, you know what, I need to do that. We want to give you a chance to do that. So reach inside your bulletin right now or you can, if you're following along on the app, You can click the link on your app and you can sign up on a job form. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want our church to look like heaven. I do. As much as possible. I want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I want our church to look like heaven and I want your life to look like Jesus. If you'll begin serving, that will happen. So I'm going to ask you to reach inside your bulletin if you are not currently engaged on a serve team at our church. You say, how do I know if I'm on a serve team or I'm not? If you don't know, you're not. Like that's the simplest answer. You're not. Don't play games, right? You're not. I want you to take this card and I want you to say, I'm willing to love like Jesus by serving. And listen, don't check all of them. That makes it hard on our team. But if you see one or two of those areas, I have a lot of people say, Christian, where do you need the most help? With our kids? Need the most help with our kids. Last week, we had more than 300 children here who were under the age of 11. We got a lot of little people running around who need to know who Jesus is. If you say, "I'll, I'll serve anywhere. Check the infant preschool or the elementary box. Student ministry, guest services are all the people who greet you coming and going. Production are people who make things turn on and look cool. Um, Administration are people who help during the week. They print stuff like this. They come in, there's a team of ladies that literally gather. They have a small group and then they serve together. Building and grounds, cutting grass, hanging Christmas lights, whatever, you get it. I want our church to look like heaven. I want your life to look like Jesus. So who's it for? Everyone. Everyone but, listen, if you're pretty new at our church and you've come from a difficult season in your, 
in your past church and you're burnt out and you're here to heal, this isn't for you. Set and heal. Set and learn. Just let us minister to you. There's probably some people in our church like that. You were just here to catch your breath spiritually. This isn't for you. But for everyone else, it's for you. Let's have our church look more like heaven. Let's have our lives look more like Jesus. In just a minute, our ushers are going to come forward and they're going to collect these. But before they do that, would you pray with me?